0: Exodus chapter twenty, verse seventeen: You shall not covet your neighbor's house; you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Says the word of God. And now, from the New Testament, Hebrews chapter thirteen, verse five: The author of Hebrews writes. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Again, this is the holy, inspired, inerrant, eternal word of God. Well, we're now coming to the final week in our series on the Ten Commandments. Lord willing, next Sunday, as I said before, we'll begin a new series on the book of Luke And I know I asked you to read the, if you plan on attending Bible study, read the uh, minor prophet Hosea, but it may also be an encouragement to you this week to read the Gospel of Luke. Uh, I read through it earlier this week and just kind of reading through it. I didn't do it in one sitting. I wanted to do it in one sitting, but I kind of ran out of time. Um, But uh, I think you'll be encouraged. Uh, Even just reading large chunks of it in one sitting was was a great experience for myself. So, this week I encourage you, if you want to start getting prepared for our next sermon series, read the Gospel of Luke this week. Uh, but for, for this week, let's look at the final commandment. Uh, a commandment we can summarize by the first four words of our Old Testament passage You shall not covet. Now, with every commandment we've looked at, we've asked the question what does this commandment require, and what does this commandment forbid? And we could summarize this commandment by simply saying that this commandment requires contentment with what the Lord has given us. And what is forbidden is discontentment with our own estate. In other words, be satisfied with the good gifts the Lord has given you. Don't grieve because your neighbor has been given more. And certainly do not desire or lust after the possessions of your neighbor now that being said you might notice something very different about the 10th commandment something that makes this commandment stand out from the other nine every other commandment we've dealt with in this study has focused on outward actions outward sin don't worship false gods don't worship god in a way he has not command commanded don't blaspheme his name don't neglect to, to observe the sabbath honor the authorities god has placed in your life uh, don't murder don't commit adultery don't steal don't lie these commandments as they would have appeared on the stone tablets that god gave to moses all address external actions physical activities that we do with our mouths our hands. Our lives but this commandment has an internal focus this commandment deals with the heart coveting is not an external action you can covet and no one except the Lord and yourself will ever know about it coveting is a heart condition brothers and sisters now of course we know that all throughout our study on the Ten Commandments Every commandment ultimately comes down to the heart. We know that breaking each and every commandment begins with sin in our hearts. That the outward sin, the outward action, the outward breaking of the commandment is not the only way that we violate God's law. We violate, we break the law of God first in our hearts. Now someone recently sent me a great message online. Uh, He was asking me a question really. And here's the question that this person asked me. He said... There's an obvious, explicit, intended meaning to the Ten Commandments. Do not murder means do not physically kill one another. But my question comes with thinking of Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26, where Jesus says that to hate is to murder. And this person said, I'm wondering if this deeper meaning was there from the start in the Ten Commandments, or did Jesus add a new And deeper level to what was stated before it's a great question it's a question that basically asks did the Israelites in the Old Testament when they were given the Ten Commandments understand the deeper meaning if you will of each commandment lust for example being equated with adultery or hatred being equated with murder or is that something that Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount added to the meaning of the law? And I think the answer to that question is no, Jesus did not add a new meaning to the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were always concerned, not only with the outward action, but also with the sins of the heart. And the Israelites should have recognized that fact because the Tenth Commandment, you shall not covet, would make that truth quite evident. Because ultimately, the 10th commandment is striking at the heart issue that Jesus speaks about in the Sermon on the Mount. The 10th commandment is basically saying that the breaking of the other nine commandments begins, in a sense, with a covetous heart. Think about this. Let's take the second table of the law, commandments five through nine. The commandments deal with loving your neighbor as ourselves. And let's look at them in light of coveting. Why is it that we do not honor the authorities that God has placed over us? If we're honest, I think we can say it's because we ourselves covet the position of power that they have. We think that if we were the ones in authority, we could rule and govern better than they. Why is it that we murder? Jesus says the sin of murder begins in our hearts. But where does that... Or, or, I'm sorry, the sin of murder begins with hatred in our hearts. But where does that hatred come from? It flows from covetousness. Maybe we hate our brother or sister because they have a name and reputation we covet. Maybe they have something that we long for. Maybe they have the life that we wish we could have and we hate them for having, having it. Covetousness leads to hatred. Cain murdered Abel. Why? Because he was angry... He's angry with God and his brother. And why was he angry? Because he coveted the approval that God gave to Abel and not to him concerning the offerings that they brought before the Lord. Why do we commit adultery? Because we desire, we lust, we covet sex outside of the covenant bonds of marriage. Why do we steal? Well, that's obviously because we covet the physical possessions of our neighbor. Why do we lie? Bear false witness against our neighbors because we covet their good name, their reputation, their popularity, their status in society. Coveting is the internal heart sin. It is the root of all sins against our neighbors, brothers and sisters. But more than that, it's also the root of sin against God as well. Let's consider the first four commandments. The commandments that deal with loving the Lord our God with our whole heart soul strength and mind why do we commit adultery i'm sorry idolatry why do we commit idolatry why do we worship gods other than the true and living god breaking the first commandment because when we covet things like money or possessions we are not taking satisfaction in god himself and thus we're elevating we're making into gods whatever it is that we covet when we covet Are we truly worshiping God in a way that He has commanded us to worship Him as the second commandment requires? No. We're worshiping graven images. Uh, the, The Puritan Thomas Watson said we may not be worshiping graven images in the gathered worship service, but he said we're worshiping graven images on our coins and our dollar bills rather than the image of the invisible God, Jesus Christ. When we covet... We break the third commandment because by coveting, we are not showing the reverence and awe that is due to God's great and holy name. When we covet, we break the Sabbath because we're striving to find our satisfaction in, and rest not in Jesus, the Lord of the Sabbath, but rather we're searching for peace and rest in physical possessions. This is why coveting is so serious, brothers and sisters. Coveting, breaking the 10th commandment, is the root cause of us breaking all the other commandments. Now the question some of you have is, how does that happen? How does such a seemingly innocent sin like coveting lead to such tremendous law breaking? how does coveting produce things like idolatry, murder, theft, lying, adultery, and so on? Well, the Puritan, Ezekiel Hopkins, was very helpful here because he outlines four degrees to coveting, which leads to outward law-breaking. He said the first degree of coveting is this. It's a film and shadow of an evil thought, what he called the imperfect embryo of sin before it is shaped in us or has any lineaments or features. Now, it's those quick little thoughts that pop up in our minds. Those little blips of temptation that spring up within us out of a, out of a sinful heart desire. So, what the Bible calls every imagination of the thoughts of our hearts. And these thoughts, these little imaginations, they are sin. Genesis 6 verse 5 calls them wicked. And evil and Ezekiel Hopkins says these little sparks they have to be stamped out they have to be they have to be put away and repented of lest we have an uncontrollable wildfire break out in our hearts but the second degree then so that's the first degree of coveting the second degree of coveting happens when we entertain in our mind these little sparks of sin with some measure of complacency Hopkins says that when a sinful object presents itself before a carnal heart, there is an inward response that affects it, affects the heart with delight. Even with some sympathy towards the sinful thought. We're drawn to these evil thoughts and desires. The third degree then of coveting takes place when once we entertain these thoughts, we give our assent, our approval to the sin. We may, in our own minds, at this point, condemn the sin. We might even quote the law to ourselves. We can recognize that this is indeed sinful. But at this point, our affections are already tied to the sin. And Hopkins says our affections bribe us with promises of pleasure or profit. And therefore, our judgment of what is sinful becomes corrupted. Finally, the fourth degree, covetousness. Yeah, covetousness uh, once we have approved of the sin in our heart and mind is that our will our will is now resolved to commit the outward sin and at this point then the sin Hopkins says is fully formed within us it lacks nothing except the opportunity to bring it forth into an open act and as we've seen once we bring forth the sin that was formed in us by coveting We not only break the 10th commandment, we then go on to break one or some or all of the other nine commandments. It's a slippery slope of sin, brothers and sisters. There's really, I think, probably no slope that is more slippery than the sin of coveting. When we give into it, when we don't stamp out those small sparks that spring up into our hearts, we see that soon we end up with an uncontrollable wildfire of sin, which leaves behind devastation. Devastation in our lives. Devastation in our relationship with God and with one another. Devastation in the lives of our neighbors. Devastation that all began with that seemingly harmless sin of coveting. Now it might be that some of you still think, That I'm injecting too much into the sin of coveting is it really that bad does it really lead to this uncontrollable wildfire of sin just because some dusty old Puritan says that it does doesn't mean that that's the case and I recognize that but let's consider this question how does the Bible speak of coveting one of the things I, I did in the in, in preparing this sermon is I did a word study to see how the New Testament speaks of coveting. And through that study, it's pretty clear the Bible doesn't see this sin as some little harmless sin. Romans 1 29. Covetousness is listed there in the Apostle Paul's description of the depraved human race and his description of the wickedness of All mankind. And he lists it alongside of all manners of unrighteousness. Evil, covetousness, malice, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness, gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. It's quite a list that he puts covetousness in with. Mark 7, 21-22, this is Jesus speaking and he says, For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, which is another uh, expression of coveting. So Jesus, in a sense, lists it twice. Slander, pride, foolishness. Ephesians 4, 19. Speaking of the wicked, Paul says they have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, or covetousness to practice every kind of impurity. Ephesians 5, verse 3. But sexual immorality and all impurity and covetousness must not even be named among you. Colossians 3, verse 5. Put to death. Therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness which is idolatry. Second Peter two, verse three, Peter, speaking of false teachers, says that in their greed, in their covetousness, they will exploit you with false words. I think it's clear the Bible does not view this as a small Innocent, harmless sin. It's equated with false teaching, with idolatry, with sexual immorality, with murder, malice, strife, God hating, all forms of unrighteousness. Because again, it's the very heart sin from which all these other forms of evil and wickedness arise. And it's a sin brothers and sisters and friends that every single one of us is guilty of. So what's our hope? Because all of us know that's true. All of us know that we have coveted and we covet often. All of us know that feeling of jealousy, that feeling of envy. What's our hope? What can we do about this sin? The first thing we do is take it to the cross of Christ. Brothers and sisters and friends, this is not the unpardonable sin. If it were the unpardonable sin, no one from the entire human race would ever be saved. The cross of Christ, there is grace, there is forgiveness, not only from this sin, but for every sin that proceeds from this sin. In the blood of Christ, there's cleansing to be found. In the blood of Christ, the guilt and stain of the sin is washed away forever. For those who turn to Jesus, for those who look to the cross and trust in Christ's life and death and resurrection and trust in His cleansing blood, the sin is removed from you. As far as the East is from the West, it is thrown into a bottomless sea. sea. This sin no longer stains you before the eyes of God the Father. You, if you are trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, are no longer clothed in the filthy garments of the sin, but rather you are clothed in the radiant white robes of Jesus' own righteousness. So let this commandment and the realization of your guilt in light of what this commandment means, let it lead you to your Savior, Jesus Christ. Secondly, and this will, echo a lot about, uh, this will echo a lot of what we talked about with the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. Secondly, we need to learn and we need to practice Christian contentment. Look at our New Testament passage, Hebrews 13, verse 5. Keep your life free from love of money. And we can expand that to anything other than the love of God and love of our neighbor. Keep your life free from coveting. Keep your life free from love of money. And be content with what you have. For He, God, the Father, has said, I will never leave or forsake you. This is the antidote to greed, brothers and sisters. This is the antidote to covetousness. This is Christian contentment. That's the antidote. Not contentment built around what you have, your material possessions. Not contentment built upon your mood on any given day. Not contentment that is based on the circumstances of your life. Contentment built upon God himself. Contentment. Christian contentment. It is a practice It is a discipline that means we need to work hard at gaining Christian contentment that means we will spend the rest of our lives striving to master Christian contentment and we won't master it in this life brothers and sisters but we still strive to do it with the help of the Holy Spirit it's a discipline that requires us to spend our lives pursuing a deeper knowledge a deeper love a a deeper hope a deeper faith in the lord it's a discipline that requires us to be diligent in prayer diligent in studying the word of god diligent in making use of the ordinary means of grace the ministry of the word and the ministry of sacraments it's a discipline that requires us to pursue holiness in our lives. It requires us to commit ourselves not only to God, but also to His people. That, it's a discipline that requires us to constantly repent and confess our sins. A discipline that requires us to rely upon the power of the Holy Spirit to mortify our sin and to grow in holiness. It's a discipline that is ultimately synonymous with striving to live the Christian life. And it's a discipline which leads, as as difficult and as hard as it is, it leads to the death of of covetousness and it leads to wonderful blessings not only blessings in the life to come leads the blessings right now because as we pursue Christian contentment we will grow in this life in our enjoyment of God we will jo- we will grow in true joy and contentment in the gifts that God has graciously given us. We will also learn true joy and contentment in God himself. I want to close this morning by doing something which is, I think it's a little odd. I've never done it before. Some of you are really nervous now. It's not that big of a deal. I want to close by quoting you something that I actually already preached to you. Uh, I took this from my sermon on February 2nd of this year sermon on hebrews chapter 13 it was from our sermon series on the book of hebrews Uh, i've never quoted myself before it's kind of weird but i'm quoting my own sermon not because i think that somehow i'm worthy of being quotable but i'm i'm quoting it because as i thought through this i don't know another way to say what i already said to you in that sermon And this is what I told you on February 2nd of 2020. Contentment. True Christian contentment that comes from knowing the promise of God to be with us. The promise to never leave or forsake us. This is the antidote to greed, to covetousness. The greedy seek to provide for themselves contentment and joy from earthly wealth. They try to provide for themselves true security. They're chasing after the illusion of self-reliance. And it's a vain pursuit that can never produce true contentment. The Christian, however, gains true contentment through all circumstances by being able to rest in the truth that God, the God of all creation, is our heavenly father who will never leave or forsake us who is with us always who has through christ given us an eternal inheritance who has in christ given us a kingdom that cannot be shaken and all our worldly possessions the pursuit of money security property whatever it is that we try to find joy and contentment in other than god It's all going to be shaken. Moth and rust will destroy it. The thief can rob us. But the unshakable kingdom that we have in Jesus Christ cannot be taken away. And that truth gives the Christian true contentment if we are diligent to meditate upon it. So remember that great truth, brothers and sisters. When those little embers of covetousness begin to flare up in our hearts, remember the great truth that in Christ we are given a kingdom that cannot be shaken. In Christ we have gained an eternal inheritance, a treasure beyond anything this world could give us. Joy and satisfaction, true pleasure and bliss that no sin could ever give us. Lasting joy, lasting bliss, lasting pleasure, true contentment that can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. Remember that truth and let that truth motivate you to stamp out the embers of sin in your heart. Do it. Do it. Be diligent at it. Do it out of love for God and do it out of love for your neighbor.